Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. The handout reference during this presentation is available for download on the audio section of our website. Good morning. Thank you for climbing out of bed this morning. When we stand, we'll begin in prayer. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. Amen. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. Have a seat. How many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Good, good. Why don't we open up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. But we beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brethren, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." Pray constantly and support the brethren. Our program this morning will end, I promise, by noon. We're going to have a short half an hour introduction with Professor David Clayton. And then we're going to mix it up a little bit and do our practicum end of this. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what that involves right now because I don't want you to leave. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a little different than our normal experience at the Institute of Catholic Culture, but I think it is really what we are all about at the Institute. So I'm so excited because Professor Clayton and I discussed doing this back when you were with us, what, six months ago, and when he described what he's been doing with the students at the college, I said, that's the kind of guy I want teaching our people the divine office. And so I'm so excited to welcome back Professor David Clayton. Thank you very much indeed. Hello again to those who were here last time, and hello to those who weren't. As Deacon Sabatino said, I'm going to talk first of all just about the Liturgy of the Hours. I'm assuming there are some who know quite a lot about it, so you'll forgive me if I'm teaching you things you already know. Some are coming to it, I imagine, as I did when I first heard about it, where I, I didn't know what the words meant, I had no idea at all what it was about. And so I'm really going to start from the beginning, and what I hope to do is, through this first section, just inspire people to believe that it's worth doing and uh, have a sense that it's something that is really worthwhile. First of all, what is it? What is the Liturgy of the Hours? Well, the first thing is, it is liturgy, 
which means that it's part of the formal worship of the church, the public worship of the church. And if we pray this, we're praying with the church as part of the mystical body of Christ. There's something supernatural going on. And immediately that raises it even above devotions, such as the rosary. All these things are wonderful things, but liturgy is what we're made for. It's what we're made by God to worship him. Uh, and the phrase that's always given to me is worship of the Father through the Son in the Spirit. We enter into the mystery of the Trinity. And we can address the Father if we're part of that mystical body of, of Christ. And so this is why liturgy is so important. We're actually in this dynamic of love between the Son and the Father. We're participating in that. And in order to do that, by degrees in this life, we share in Christ's divinity so that we can really can address the Father, and fully in the next, we share in his divinity. It's also liturgy of the hours. We're used to thinking, of course, the, the liturgy, we, the first thing that comes into mind is the Mass, and it's, it's a number of things, but primarily the Mass with the Eucharist at the centre. But this is a, another form of liturgy, which in a, you can think of it as supporting the Mass, or perhaps it's a setting into which the Mass is placed. And it's used to mark the hours. So we sing ideally at certain times of the day, and the core of it, the essence of it, is really the Psalms. The Psalms are, Thomas Aquinas said, I think the phrase he uses, it contains all of theology. Everything that you need is in some way contained within there. It both reflects the Old Testament and, and what preceded Christ, if you like, and anticipated what was to come, all that ever was and ever will be supernaturally. So the Psalms, they're the vehicle by which we can both express prayer and they teach us to pray as well, just by going through the words of the psalmist. There's a special value to that. And it is wonderful to recite the Psalms, it is even better to sing them. They were written to be sung. And so we will sing later on. Uh, especially men. Okay. And we're going to talk about that. So as I said, it is, it's, they often refer to liturgy as the prayer of Christ, uh, supernaturally, because we are in union, if you like, or part of the mystical body of Christ. But also, in the sense, historically, Christ prayed in a form, as I understand it, the Liturgy of the Hours. As a devout Jew, he will have marked the hours with the Psalms. And there are references in the Acts of the Apostles that we know the Apostles continued this practice. And so, in so one sense, it's even older than the Mass, historically. It, it, it's a setting. It's, and the wonderful expression that was given to me was uh, that the Mass is a jewel in its setting which is the Liturgy of the Hours. And the Liturgy as a whole is a jewel in its setting. And I wondered what he was going to say, and he said, which is the cosmos. And the whole of the beauty of the cosmos and the rhythms and patterns of the motions of the stars in the sky, for example, the moon and the movement of the sun, are visible signs to which we order our life. And we have days of the week, for example, that are ordered because of the book of Genesis, but also even for non-Christians. I met some Chinese people. They have seven-day weeks, they told me, because they order their life to the phases of the moon. So the cosmos teaches us to do this. Why? Well, 
as the Christian view is that we are made to worship God, made to worship in harmony, in unison with the cosmos. And so we hear that all the, the, the heavens give praise to God. It's really, they direct our praise. And so we pray in harmony with the heavens with a little h and then also with heaven with a capital H that all the hosts of angels and saints are in this permanent dynamic of love and prayer and exchange of love with God. And supernaturally, we step into that through the liturgy. And so this is the wonderful thing that the Liturgy of the Hours is. And so just remember that idea. It's, it's worship of the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Now, I said it's greater than devotions. Devotions for Catholics have a very, very special place. And the well-balanced prayer life, and I'm, I'm just reflecting what I'm told. I'm not a, an expert on this. Um, is a balance of all of these things, with the liturgy at the centre and the mass at the centre of that. Um, and then devotions are the things that lead us in, and point to the liturgy. And so they're wonderful things that we have as Catholics. So in stressing the liturgy of the hours now, I don't want you to think I'm being negative about any of the other practices that Catholics have. The point I'm making it really is that this is something that is well, it appeared as I came to it, just because this was my experience, that it was neglected. I didn't hear about it when I converted very much. And so it was something I wanted to find out more about. So just because it's the main topic of conversation and I'm stressing the importance of it, don't think that that means that I'm being negative in any way about other things. It is a good thing, I would say, though, to, if you can get a spiritual director to find a way that you can get a balance of all these things. My experience, I, I noticed this at the college that if you start saying how wonderful it is to do something in the church, it's the same people who do it. And, it's, and basically what it's giving them is another burden for them, for the pious, and another thing for the impious to ignore. And we don't want that. This is a freedom. It is a freedom, provided we understand the priorities and that we understand how it is a prayer of everyday life for ordinary people. And this is a point that really should be stressed. It is liturgy, even if a priest isn't present. Of course, the Mass, there has to be priests there. But for the liturgy of the hours, the lay office, if you like, is sufficient to make it liturgy. We can pray it, and providing we're doing properly approved texts, even then, there's a lot of freedom that they specify within the principles. We need to be aware of that. Providing we're doing that, we're in harmony with the church and we're contributing to it and benefiting from it. And it is the source and summit. The liturgy is what we're, our lives are directed towards and it is also the thing that is the prime source of inspiration and grace, if you like, to enable us to reach what we're aiming for. We both draw from it and give to it and it helps us in our daily lives as well. So why is it worth doing? I've, I've hinted at that a little bit. And in not necessarily this order, these are the things that came to mind. In addition to what I've said, it really helps me. The thing that I notice when I pray the Liturgy of the Hours is I become aware of the seasons and the changes in the liturgy and the feasts in a way that even daily Mass doesn't seem to bring out in the same way. I'm very conscious of how things change in Lent or Advent, for example, in a way that I wasn't before. Perhaps I wasn't very attentive. Perhaps they, it speaks to me. Well, I wasn't very attentive. But it, uh, 
it speaks to me in a strong way that I understand this. It also helps with my devotions, for example. So there's a wonderful encyclical on, I think it's called something like the proper ordering of devotion to Mary. It explains how within the liturgy, all the devotion to Mary is expressed. We sing the Magnificat at Vespers, her prayer. We We pray with her and to her, in a sense. And there's lots and lots of devotion to the saints through the liturgy. And this is the, the strongest expression of it. And certainly for me as a convert, the saints were something that I didn't have an instinctive feel for when I came into the church. This has really helped to give me a sense that you know, there are saints in heaven who want to pray for me and are interested in me. And it really makes that alive because it makes the heavenly liturgy alive for me. It is a source of joy. I, mean, I think this is the one thing. I, I came into the church, and I, I, it doesn't matter what topic I'm talking about, this is, the, this is the point. I seek happiness. This is why I became a Catholic. And I got in, I was just lucky that I met Catholics who were happy, and I believed <laughs> that actually the source of their happiness was their Catholicism. Um, sadly, you wouldn't always know it, and it's not a burden. It is a source of joy. It lightens the burden. And it isn't always presented in that way. It, this is no different from anything else. It, it's part of the Catholic life, which is, for me, the greatest joy there is on earth. I would say that my experience of doing the Liturgy of the Hours, I can't prove it, you know, and it's a personal sense of cause and effect, and, you know, but is that... I really had a sense of a deepening of that joy in praying the Liturgy of the Hours and just a sense that things were naturally unfolding in a way that they didn't before. There was less of a battle. I have my ups and downs. Life is not perfect. I'm not going to say that. But it really is a, a wonderful thing to do and it, it really gives me a sense that there is an assistance, if you like, during the day. That's what keeps me doing it in the end. It, we're encouraged to do it as lay people. I'm not bound to do it. So it's a choice that I make, but I do it because I want to, because I feel it improves my life and helps me to get where I want to go, which is heaven. It helps me, and this is what it says in the beginning of these books. If you've got the long version, I think you have the four-volume version somewhere on the table. Okay, just to intimidate you, we put that in the start. <laughs> There's an introduction there. If you can get hold of it, just the introduction to the Divine Office that's in that, it's a very, very interesting, I think. The back part of it is just instructions on how you do it. Now, you need to know that. You can use this hymn here, that there. Okay, that's not an interesting reading, but we probably need to be aware of that. But the description of the value of it is, to me, inspiring. It is the prayer that sanctifies the day. What does that mean? Well, my understanding of that is that if I just think, just in very practical terms, if I think about as I'm going about my day, and I, I, every moment there's a choice that I have to make. Now, some of those choices are affected by morality. If something's wrong, I don't want to do it. I might be tempted to, you know, all, you only know, you know the battle that goes on, so you're thinking, well, should I, shouldn't I? Okay, this is wrong, I'll do the other. Many choices, there doesn't seem to be, it's so obvious to me, that I can use church teaching, if you like. I can't apply it to know what to do. I'm talking about, you know, do I have bacon, do I have eggs? Uh, which is morally so. However, 
what it does give me a feel for, I believe, is an intuitive sense of what is good, of the beautiful. And I'll explain why I believe that. In other words, it's another principle of choice. You just have a greater sense of what one ought to do during the day. If this, what this says is right, and again, don't take my word for it. Someone once said to me, try it for 30 days, and if you don't like it, we'll return your misery with interest. But, uh, <laughs> so... Try it and see. I just think it helps me. There's something, there's something there. There's, and the way that I came to this first is that I, I'm an artist, and I was asked about how to develop an education for artists in the church, as well as all the, the skill that's needed and the, the teaching of the methods. What is the spiritual life? And for reasons which I'll go into later, because it, it's easier to explain it when I'm talking about how you do it in the later part of the talk, I really developed the idea, it's, it seems clear to me, that this is a deep education in the beautiful. That in practising the prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours, I'm conforming my soul to the beauty of the cosmos. I'm living at a very deep level in my, my heart, if you like. How the breathing in and out of the spirit in harmony with the whole cosmos. And I can talk about that in more tangible terms later on, so that you'll believe me. But I have this sense that, it, if you like, it ventilates the day. That I always think that I, I just imagine I'm getting grace. And, of course, to the degree that I cooperate with it, I can have a good day. But this constant coming back to God and opening myself out just seems to be a good thing. And I always think it's a bit like pushing a swing. If I'm pushing a child on a swing, I can push. And if I push when the swing goes forward... Once the swing gets going, I just need to tap it and it'll keep going. I could just close my eyes and do that and it would move and it would move haphazardly but there wouldn't be that sense of everything just going smoothly and in harmony with itself. I get more of a sense, I don't want to overstate this, but I get more of a sense that this is the, the means by which the day goes if I'm praying this. Now, just before we talk more about, we're going to have, in a second we'll have a break and we're going to then reconvene and actually start singing it. At that point I'm going to explain more about these books and how you get into them and what you do. But I just want to leave you with this image, just to give you a sense of this idea of the cosmos, the liturgy and beauty and harmony. We have seven day weeks. Why do we do that? Well, the book of Genesis says you have you know, seven days of creation. We order, order ourselves according to that. Also, the phase is the moon. It, the moon waxes and wanes in an ideal of, I think it's 28 days from full to new to full again, something like that. So it's a quarter phase of the moon. And that seems to occur in other societies other than Christian. Uh, so we have this seven-day cycle. Seven days, we go round and round. I start on Sunday... I get back to Sunday, I'm back where I started. However, for Christians, there is an eighth day, which is the incarnation, the death and resurrection of Christ, which ushered in the new age, if you like, through Christ. And so the way to think about this is that Sunday, therefore, I go round, and then Sunday is both the last day, the eighth day of the previous week, and the first day of the next. And it's like a vector shift up. So instead 
of going round in an enclosed circle and following a spiral in the week up through sacred time. And it's an amazing thing. I get to Sunday, I don't think, here we are again, you know, surely I've done Sunday by now. Um, and you have the same pattern in the course every year. We go through the same seasons and Easter is that node, if you like, by which we start and finish and we're ushered up into a new dimension. So there's a grand helix of the seasons of the year sitting on that, a smaller helix of the days of the week. Within the day, the psalmist says, seven times a day I praise you, O Lord, and he says, once during the watches of the night, I never get the phrase exactly, but there is that pattern of seven plus one. And it's, it's a cycle. And so you have the helix of the day sitting on the helix of the week, sitting on the helix of sacred time. And to the degree that we conform, we just go sailing up to heaven, I guess. Now, that sounds lovely. Where else do we, where else do we have cities sevens and eights? Well, there's a real harmony in this. Think of the musical scale. Sitting out on a piano. You, you tend to think of it as linear because the piano is set out in a linear way and you go from C... Um, do, 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 do. Eight notes later, the eighth note is simultaneously the last of the previous octave, the first of the next, and it's as though we've come round full circle. And I just think it is an amazing fact, and I, I described this last time I was here, amazing fact that um, having... Uh, gone higher by a tone or whatever it is, the, the tone or half tone each step, that we get to a note that is still higher, yet it sounds the same. There's no reason in physics that it should. It's a purely human perception of, of beauty and order. And it's as though it's made for us to point our way, and these parallels exist in the cosmos, in scripture, and in music, in the beauty of music. And by living this liturgical life, it, the, the liturgical life, it's, it, you could say it's a reflection of these things. We learn this by looking around. But actually, everything points to this. The centre of it is the liturgical life, and these are all spokes that come out of this central hub. And so though we see these first, and the, the central principle which is governing these is the liturgical. And so that if we make that the centre of our life, we can be in, in musical harmony. We can be in harmony with the cosmos, singing that praise with it. Um, and why is that worth doing? Again, it comes down to the, the, either it's true, there is joy in the Christian life, or there isn't. And if there isn't, well, it, it wouldn't have encouraged me to convert. Let's put it like that. <laughs> okay, what we're going to talk about next, we'll take a short break. We're going to come back. I'm going to start talking about how we actually pray it. You've got these books with ribbons and there are all sorts of rules and it's difficult to understand. If somebody gives you it, you don't know where to start. So we'll convene in, what's reasonable? Uh, 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, five, five minutes? Yeah, five minutes. Five. Now, here's the part you're not allowed to run away. Even, he wasn't supposed to tell you we we're going to do any singing today. <laughs> Just a little bit, but don't worry. Don't leave because you're scared of singing. We're here with you. And, uh, but we're going to put, you're going to have to pick up all your things because we're going to put the men on, which side do you want them? Men here and women on this side. That's all right. So that we can learn <laughs> okay. how to pray the office 
antiphonally. Is that the right word? Ant- antiphonally. Yeah, antiphonally. Antiphonally. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I, was, I was educated in California. Thank you very much. So, but the ladies have prepared some beautiful quiche and wonderful snacks. Out- now it's a real test to see how many people ran away when they heard we were going to do this. Yeah, exactly. Where are the guys? The nice thing is that the guys have the professor on their side, so. We're good to go? Okay. Now listen, he's not going to abandon you, and God gave you your voice, okay? And so just be comfortable, and we're going to work through it together, and this is going to be a wonderful experience. Right. First thing is, what do you do? You go and get a book called The Divine Office, or The Liturgy of the Hours, and it's got all these ribbons, and it's immensely complicated. Now, the best way is to find somebody else who does it and just do it with them, and they will tell you where to go. It is a complicated... It's almost as part of the meditation is working out where you are. <laughs> there is a picture of Thomas More and his family, a drawing by Hans Holbein, in which... All the family is lined up, and supposedly they're saying the Liturgy of the Hours as a family. I believe they are because there are two women in the picture. Uh, I imagine two of his daughters. One is holding the book, and the other one is pointing to it and obviously saying, which page are we on? (laughs) That is what the Liturgy of the Hours is about. That will always go on. There are so many contributions. The essence of it, or the core of it, if you like, is a cycle of psalms. So, traditionally, it might have been a weekly cycle. The versions that we have here, developed for lay people so that you don't have so many psalms in one office, it's spread out over a four-weekly cycle. So, in any of these books, somewhere around the middle, you'll open it up, and it'll say something like, Psalter, week three, Thursday. Something like that, okay? And you have to find out where we are in the cycle... That probably is the most difficult thing. You're going to have to ask. A priest will know because they're bound to do it. Once you get going, then, of course, you just move on one day. So once you find that place, or if you go online and Google it. But that, I don't know if I can tell you how to do it. There is a little booklet that is produced um, which tells us. You have it there. Okay. So if you can get hold of this, that is going to be a difficult piece of information. You're just going to have to go to people who know. After that... It is complicated, but the, the simplest thing, I'm not going to go through the whole process of how you're studying, but you effectively have two possible contributions which would override what you have here. This would be for a ferial day, in other words, a day in which you're not actually celebrating a feast or a memorial. You would sing what's here, and it's got the same basic structure each day. There's a hymn, psalms predominantly, very often a canticle as well, and then prayers... And if it's Lord's Vespers or Compline, there'll be a gospel canticle. Today we're going to look at Lord's morning prayer and we'll do the Benedictus, the Song of Zechariah, and then a closing prayer. So that's the basic structure, and it would all be there normally for a ferial day. However, we need to find out whether there are other contributions. There are two questions you can ask. First of all, what is the season? What is the seasonal contribution? which I always think comes from the moon. Everything's linked to Easter, and Easter's linked to the phases of the moon. So the moon contribution is generally, depends how the book is set up, but generally in the first part. So if I look at the beginning of this, in most books you go to the beginning and it says Lent week three. And anything that's there, if if you're in Thursday of week three of Lent, overrides what is in here. So there's a contribution. 
okay? Then you have to ask yourself, is it a feast day? What about the calendar, which is linked to the date? So that's the contribution from the sun, if you like. The sun, generally at the back, you will have feast days. August the 6th, Transfiguration. It's always August the 6th, no matter where Easter is, that's going to be the date of the Transfiguration. In fact, this version has both of those additional elements in the back and the Psalter in the first. But you need to ask that question. What is the season? What is the date? Is there a special date? And then, as you get to the date, it will tell you what the contribution is. So, evening prayers, for example just looking Easter season, Thursdays, there's a special reading here. Just the scripture reading will replace what is in the Psalter. And so I just follow my directions. Okay? Now, if you get it wrong, don't worry. We do our best. <laughs> you will get it wrong. Inevitably, you know, my students are tapping me you know, and saying, Isn't, where are we? You know, the, haven't you got it wrong? I'm supposed to be leading the thing, and I get it wrong half the time. But we just do our best. It's complicated. And in the end, in order to really get that off, you're going to have to find somebody who knows how to handle the book. You could sit down and read through all the instructions, but I've never met anybody who actually understands them on reading them. Okay? Uh, I just think you have to be shown. But in the end, if all you do is do the Psalter and then be aware of the day and maybe invoke the saint, that would be better. But you aim. You know, in the ideal, you're doing precisely what it says, but we understand that we'll make mistakes in doing that. But don't worry, don't let that stop you from doing it and having a go. So, there's one question that often crops up. Do I have to do all of it? Okay. No. Uh, we don't have to pray seven times a day and get up at midnight and, and do it. If you want to, certainly, if that's what you want to do, but you don't. This is one of those things that it is great to do it partly. The way that I was encouraged to begin with this is I was encouraged to do morning prayer and compline, lords and compline. Night, uh, compline is night prayer. And aim to get that as a habit. So it's when I get up in the morning, when I go to bed at night. And don't even think about anything else until that becomes easy. If you want to start with just one office, that's fine. Once that becomes a habit, and once you get used to it, it becomes something that just fits in very naturally. It might take ten minutes to go through it, just to read it, uh, if that's all you're doing. And it becomes a natural part of the day. Many people then just want to do more, and they want to do something in the middle of the day, for example. You can either then add another office, prayer during the day, or something like that, or else what you can do is just mark the hours. So get used to the habit of marking the different hours even if it's with Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be. Okay, so it's not liturgy at this point, but it's something that is pointing to the liturgy and ordered to it. And if we get that habit of always, this is what the Angelus does, it's trying to instill in us that habit of praying morning, middle of the day, in, at the end of the afternoon. Now, in the ideal, then that opens the door to those offices that mark that time. And, of course, many times we don't have the book with us. You know, we're going about our business. But now with smartphones, uh, you can get the, the divine office just about anywhere, anytime. And then even if you don't have that, if you have a little psalter, try and sing a psalm and mark the hour. Again, that's not the official liturgy, but it's ordered to it. And we're praying the psalms, which is very powerful. So it's good to do a little. 
it's not one of those things where it's all or nothing, and if you don't get it right, that's it. Cross it off the list. We'll try something else. Okay. Now, for the, the singing. The great thing about the Liturgy of the Hours is that you don't have to do it in church. You can do it in home, in a hall, wherever you are. And if there isn't a priest present, you are in control of how you do it. So when I do it at home, I have an image corner. So I engage my sight, a prayer corner, with icons. And I turn and I face and I look. And if I can, it suggests in the books that sometimes you, you have an incense burner for lords and vespers. That's morning prayer and then the prayer at the end of the afternoon. I think about my posture so that, as we'll see when we pray this, we stand at certain times, we bow for the Trinity, we sit at certain times. And what this is doing is engaging all the senses and the whole person in the prayer and therefore conforming body and soul, if you like, to this rhythm and pattern of prayer. And through that, the beauty of the cosmos is impressed upon our souls and it will come out intuitively in the actions that we take during the course of the day. Especially if you're an artist, I thought, using the visual. If I'm trying to paint sacred art to nourish prayer, it just seems very unlikely that I'm going to be able to do it if I'm not used to praying habitually with visual imagery. And what's going to happen if I pray well, the imagery that nourishes that good prayer will be beautiful. And so if I want to learn to pray well, I find the imagery that nourishes that prayer. Instinctively, I will paint in that mode. And so it will help me to do that. And then, of course, in the culture more broadly, all of human culture is derived from and points to our worship. And so those forms that develop, our sense of the beautiful that develops in worship, is reflected in what we do outside. And, of course, it also then supports it. It draws other people in, if it's beautiful, to the right sort of liturgy, for example. So, we can engage the whole person, engage all the body and soul in the prayer. I just want to stress again this point about having a well-balanced prayer life and talk to somebody who knows. Each person is different, but generally it involves a balance of liturgy and devotions Lexio Divina, because we're studying scripture, is very often suggested as a support to this. Um, and these things are not easy if you're trying to do it all on your own, is my experience. Anyway, some people might be able to do that naturally. All right, now, I'm going to get to this point and assume that you've all got your full volume, Liturgy of the Hours, you've worked out the ribbons, you've worked out where you are, and you know with full confidence today that is Saturday, week four is the core Psalter, and it's the feast of, or the memorial of Justin Martyr. Um, and in fact, we got this from a website which just automatically pulls the daily readings and the psalms from the four-volume Psalter that you have out there. So if you want to do that, you can do so. And at the very least, it will help you. It says, Ribbon Placement, Liturgy of the Hours, Volume 3. Do you see that? So you can use that to help you to develop it in time. So I'm looking at this sheet here. It says, Lord, Saturday week four, Justin Martyr. This is the one we're going to sing from. What I'm going to do is we need to sing, okay? St. Augustine says, if you sing your prayers, you pray twice. I think if you sing and you have posture and you look, it adds another dimension each time, three times, four times, five times, okay? So what we're going to do, we're going to go through this 
And I don't think it's worth my time explaining everything and then we sing it all in one go because by the time we get to the end, you'll have forgotten what we do at the start. So we're going to do it section by section. The great thing is this is being recorded. So even the melodies, they're the simplest things. You're a little nervous about that. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a sort of self-publicist, so I think it's wonderful that this is being recorded. It means then that you can come back to this. Those who, who learn by ear can listen. Okay, I'll tell you, my level of musical knowledge is this. I can play the piano one finger at a time, and even that finger isn't very reliable. Okay, so I just have to work it out. I have to pick simple tunes that I like and that are simple enough for me to be able to do them. And on the whole, that works for most people. If you're going to learn to do this, you can do it with a group of people, but you probably need somebody at that sort of level of musical ability. I played the recorder when I was at high school, so I can read notes, but honestly, I'm not much more than that. that that's the level I'm at, and I could, you, know, you'll tell, you can judge whether I can sing or not, but I, I can approximate the note. Now, men. We have to learn to be able to sing. I, I went to see someone at a church called St. John Cantius, which is in Chicago, beacon of liturgy. And I said, I'm introducing the Liturgy of the Hours in the college. Have you got any tips for me? He said, yes. He said, you've got to pitch it low so that the men will sing. So in other words, I'm sorry, ladies, we have to ditch the female canter. It's got to be low. What he said to me is, the women will sing anyway. <laughs> the men will not sing unless it's low enough for them and there's a male voice dominating we have to learn not to be ashamed to sing I can just tell you how I did it I would sing in the shower and just get used to hearing my own voice I just got used to listening to the sound of my own voice and practicing hitting one note and it occurred to me that if I could talk I can surely singing one note and just doing it like that is easier than talking where I'm inflecting. As long as I can do that, then I can sing the divine office. And if I'm not afraid to talk, I shouldn't be afraid to sing. Now, it's frightening even to do that if you hear your own voice, if you're not used to it. It's not worrying about other people. It's the sound of it yourself. And I've seen people start, suddenly realize they're singing, and then immediately pull back, okay? So... The only advice I have is get used to hearing yourself sing. And once you're used to that, then actually you don't mind whether other people listen to it afterwards. Okay, and I'm sure this applies over here as well. But the men have to step up to the plate if this is going to work. The men have to be the leaders in this, just practically. Never mind the discussions about relative merits of men and women spiritually. The male voice has to lead if you want both men and women to sing in this. So, what are we going to do? A lot of this we're going to sing sitting down, because I don't want us jumping up and down constantly, but I'm going to explain what's going on. You'll see there are instructions here. The first thing I'm going to do is just the opening part. Typically you would have a canter, and I would sing, Oh God, come to my assistance. You reply, Louis has to help me, but we're going to do it recto tono, which means in simple terms, on one note. So I'm going to sing, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. 
Amen. Alleluia. Okay. Well, we can do it. We know we can do it, so there are no excuses. Then we go on to the hymn. By now we're standing, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is our choir, yeah. and so generally you want to copy them, okay? Which means I have to be clear in my directions to you, so I apologise. We're doing traditional chants, because to do the psalms in something that is close to a traditional form of chant is always the best, in my experience. And, and Gregorian chant, we're told, is the norm for the liturgy. In the vernacular, you can't... It's very difficult. There are people grappling with how you apply a form that was developed for Latin to the vernacular, OK? Now, I wanted to do vernacular because I'm going to talk, tell you stories later about how you can take this out. We go into a veterans' hospital and sing vespers. And so we want to have the vernacular, because these are people who aren't even Catholics very often. We talk about singing the psalms, and they'll accept that. But they need to be able to understand. Now, we'll come to the chanting of the psalms in a second, but the hymn, very often the, the tunes for the hymn that's given are quite likely familiar 19th century hymns, but they don't sit well with chant, in my opinion. If you like it and you know the tunes, sing it. Okay? There's no directives on precisely on the music. There are guidelines on what's normative. But it really, it's open, ultimately. However, there is a traditional form of liturgical hymn which St. Benedict, in his rule, calls Ambrosian. There are one or two different forms, but the dominant form is four lines, and there are a whole range of different tunes, but the words scan exactly the same way. So once you know one tune you can sing every Ambrosian hymn. And for every season, there are different hymns. Now, the rules say, if, you, if I can call it that, if, as long as there is a hymn which has been approved by the church for a particular feast or a particular day or a ferial day, you can insert it. You don't have to use precisely what's in the book. So you can go to other parts of this book, and if there's one that suits the tune that we're going to learn to sing now, and you'll, you'll recognise it, then you can just draw from it and insert it in instead. So if there's a hymn for Vespers on ferial days, when you're starting, you can sing that hymn every day, and that's fine. What we've done here, this is a feast day, Justin Martyr, so I have to use one that's prescribed for that day, but luckily there is this book here, the Munderlein Psalter, which has tones that are applied, and I'll explain to you why we're not actually doing the whole thing from here, in a second. But in this book, they've got liturgical hymns which scan, which are translated so that the English follows the traditional liturgical tunes. They don't rhyme in the same way that a hymn would, but it's an, a great achievement to have the translation so that we can sing the Ambrosian tunes. And then you'll find it's very simple and it works with the chants that comes afterwards. So I just pulled one from here. It's actually in Google Books, so you can just, just see it. It's called the Munderlein Psalter. Some who want to get very complicated, or more complicated than we are here, it's not that complicated, will like the tones that they have. Every psalm is pointed for the, the tone, and you could sing the Lords and Vespers from this if you wanted, and that's a great option. But I love it for the, the hymns that are, that are here. Now, we're going to learn the hymn which is in this sheet, and insert it in, replace the one that's here. Because this one 
more naturally scans the Ambrosian tune. And I'm going to pick one tune. If you don't read me, don't worry. You'll just hear it and pick it up. And even if you don't pick it up by the time we get to the end, you can come back and listen. It's very, very simple. This tune here is taken from a book which prescribed it for the little hours. This is prayer during the day. And it's the very first one, A, on ordinary days. We don't need to be worried about this. And the tune goes like this. I'm going to sing it. Just, just listen to me. So I'm singing this hymn, God's Holy Martyr, to this simple tune. Once you know this tune, you can sing every Ambrosian hymn on any feast day to this tune. And you've got it. Some of you would like to get more complicated and learn new ones. That's great, but you don't need to. So it goes like this. Do, 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 do. God's holy martyr who disdained and overcame all pains of death, your faithful following of Christ has led you to the Father's home. Very simple, okay? I'm going to do it once more. Try and join in with me, and then we're going to go through the thing as we would in the office. Some of you are not going to pick it up originally. Again, that's nothing to worry about. You just pick it up in time as you go through. You can come back to this recording. So I'm just going to start singing and go through the hymn. Just join in as you pick it up. God's holy martyr who disdained And overcame all pains of death Your faithful following of Christ has led you to the Father's home. I'm going to stop you there, because you've got it. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to sing this hymn. Now, we're going to introduce the antiphonal method. Because I want you to hear what I'm singing first, I'm going to sing the first verse, and we will stand for this, I think. So stand up, because we would be standing at this point. I'm going to sing the first verse, and you can see my hands, I hope, over the top. And then, men, you're going to sing the second verse. So I will carry on. Then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do that. The third verse, the ladies will sing. And we have our two lady choristers here who will lead. And then for the final, we will all come together. And because the wonderful thing about this hymn is it follows the traditional pattern of invoking the Trinity in the final verse, we will just bow as we sing that final verse. Okay, so I sing the first, and I'll be doing lots of hand actions to usher the men in. Okay. God's holy martyr who disdained and overcame all pains of death, your faithful following of Christ has led you to the Father's home. By your incessant prayer for us, Obtain forgiveness for our sins. Protect us from the powers of ill. Relieve us in our daily cares. For you are free from every bond that bound you once to things of earth. By your own ardent love for Christ, Free us from all that drags us down. All honour to our Father God, who with the Spirit and the Son awarded you a deathless crown in heaven's court of glory blessed. Amen. 
Wonderful. Sit down. Now, you can sing any of those Ambrosian hymns to that tune, or if you happen to know another one. God's holy martyr who disdained and overcame all pains of death. Okay, you can just sing it. The other thing is, a little word for you, hold slowly does not equal holy. Um, on the whole, we go through the body of the text pretty quickly. God's holy martyr, who disdain, and then we slow down and soften at the end, certainly, and we'll do that in the Psalms. But if we start to slow down in the body of the text, we're walking through treacle, it's getting thicker and thicker. Okay, so you'll see me doing that to try and keep you going. It's inevitable in a group like this where we're just learning it's going to happen, really. But just be aware of that. It should be crisp and keep moving. And then you, you have that slowing down and, uh, at the end of each line. Okay, so now we go to the first psalm, Psalm 92. And we see these marks. It's called points on the text. So, as everyone's seeing, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High. Where those marks go depends on which version you, you see. It's different in different books. These will be slightly different to this. This I have done, and what I'm doing there is actually emphasizing, putting points on the natural emphasis of speech. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your truth in the watches of the night. So if it doesn't feel natural, when you get your Psalter, just put it where it does. Okay? Maybe you don't emphasize the same syllables that I do. Um, the point about this is that it's pointed before you even consider the music. Every psalm is pointed for the natural rhythm of speech. And why have I done it like this? Well, it means that if you know just one psalm tone, then you can sing the whole Psalter. Because you're pointing this according to the text, and then all the tones that I'm going to give you, and we're going to, I'm just going to give you three, but there are more in print here, are designed to fit that. Well, the problem with this is that this is done beautifully, there are wonderful tones, but there are, I don't know, ten tones... The tone is the melody of the psalm. That's what I'm talking about. And each one is pointed according to the, the tune. And unless you know that tone, you can't sing the psalm. And so then it means that you have to know everything if you want to sing the whole thing. And so you can sing on some days and not others. With this, if you know one tone or two tones, you can alternate, you can do the whole psalter, and you can mark it. Which means it then it, it opens up to you in your families. Uh, in, in your congregations, you could just get together and sing Vespers. And then gradually, as you learn more tones, you can just incorporate it. So that's why I've used that method. Now, having said that, we're going to do the simplest tone, which is called recto tono. Uh, nice Latin phrase for we just sing one note. <laughs> and, but we're going to follow a rhythm. As canter... I would sing first, we do well to sing your name most high and acclaim your mercy at daybreak. The antiphon is like a sort of phrase that summarizes the psalms for us to contemplate. And then what I'm going to do, just listen to the rhythm as I sing this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O most high, to proclaim your love in the morning. 
and your truth in the watches of the night, on a ten-string lyre and the lute, with the murmuring sound of the harp. So what I hope you're hearing there, again, is I'm going quite fast through the text, slowing down at the end of the line, and then where the asterisk is, everything comes in pairs, where the asterisk is, I'm pausing. That's a contemplative moment. The tendency will be to come in too quickly. We'll, inevitably, we'll hear a voice where someone goes, think of almost it's an opportunity to have a sharp intake of breath. We're going to do this canter women, men this time. I want to stay sitting. Normally at this point we would still be standing after the hymn and as I start, you would then sit down as we get into the body of the psalm. So imagine that's what we do. Practically, it's going to be too difficult for us to do all that together. I, I thought we'd have a nice, cosy group of about ten on each side, <laughs> and, uh, which I've never taught this number of people at once. Just listen, me, and then I'm going to signal men and women, and you can come in. Okay. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning, and you'll, ah, da, 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 remember that break. Proclaim your love in the morning. I'm doing that with my hand. Proclaim your love in the morning. And your truth in the watches of the night. Oh. Up, up, up. Pause. Okay. On the ten string lyre and the lute. Your deeds, O Lord, have made me glad. Whoa! <laughs> it's very important. We need, and if you want to, look at my hand signals. We're aiming for a unity here, and that, this is contemplative. If we never got beyond just singing recto tono, we want to introduce this contemplative aspect. So that silence is a very profound pause. And if you're singing complicated tones and we're in a Gothic abbey, it resonates. You hear the resonant harmonies and the harmonics coming back at you. And I always imagine when I hear that, I go to an abbey in northern Scotland called Clusterly, it's almost as if it's the angels singing with us. They were just catching the end of it. Okay. We want that contemplative gap. Ladies were singing on the ten-string lyre and the lute with the murmuring sound of the harp. Men. Your deeds, O Lord, have made me glad. For the works of your hands I shout with joy. How deep are your designs. The foolish man cannot know this. And the fool cannot understand. Though the wicked ring up like grass. Pause and... Okay, let's stop. Why don't we just sing this all the way through so at least we get a sense of the praying the psalm. I think we've got it. Now, there's one other thing to say. We get to the end. Whoever's turn it is, 
you just start with glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. You just carry on that antiphonal thing. So it, that might be the men only or it might be the women only, but we just carry on with that same rhythm. And then the other thing is we repeat the antiphon, but this time we all come in together. So let me say the first word on my own and then I'll pause and it'll be obvious that you come in. We do well to sing your name most high and proclaim your mercy at daybreak. Okay. Now the psalm prayer is something that appears in some versions and not many others and I'm going to ignore it in terms of the singing I think this is something that, in a contemplative moment, you can personally reflect on. Um, And it's not in all the versions at all. Let's just go back to this. We do well to sing your name most high and proclaim your mercy at daybreak. And then it's canter. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O most high. On the ten-string lyre and the lute, with the murmuring sound of the harp, O Lord, how great are your words! How deep are your designs! Pause, and the full. Though the wicked spring up like grass and all who do evil thrive, they are doomed to be eternally destroyed. But you, Lord, are eternally on See how your enemies perish. All doers of evil are scattered. To me, My eyes looked in triumph on my foes. My ears heard gladly of their fall. The justice flourish like the palm tree and grow like a Lebanon cedar. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. To proclaim that the Lord is just, in him my rock there is no wrong. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, pause, and will be forever. Amen. We do well to sing your name, most high and proclaim your mercy at daybreak. Now that's the basic structure for the next two. I'm just going to teach you one more tone, and we'll sing the canticle of Ezekiel to it. Actually, two more. We're going to do the Benedictus as well. This one, for those of you who do know music, is on the first page of tones. It says mode four, and it's the bottom one on the left-hand side, which is very simple. 
It's so simple that actually it can very often be applied intuitively just to ordinary text without pointing. What you see here is in the tones you see points for those who read music and the pointing on the note, by point, you know what I mean, the mark, that corresponds to the point in the text. So those move laterally. Does that make sense? They move so that the first is a reciting note, that's the body of the text. Then you change on the first pointing and then you continue. The next black note is always the syllable immediately preceding what comes next and that is the final pointed syllable. And if the final pointed syllable isn't the last in the sentence, you just carry on on that note till you finish the sentence. Ah, now there's one thing, to, we have this funny little dagger. Do you see that in the canticle of Ezekiel, we've got a dagger and then an asterisk and then a line. But we sing there what's called a flex. The reason for that, of course, is that you can't always guarantee that every psalm is going to come in couplets or the sense of it works nicely in two lines. And so inevitably you're going to have triplets, you have collections of lines in three. When that happens, whatever tone you're singing, you just sing... I will take you away from among the nations. You just sing that line, or something very similar to it, and then you sing the tone, whatever it happens to be. So if we were doing the last tone, it would be, gather you from all the foreign lands and bring you back to your own land. And then the next one would be, I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you. Do you see what I mean? So you just put that on the front and then you do the couplet. This tone is like this. I will take you away from among the nations, gather you from all foreign lands, and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities. From all your idols I will cleanse you. Can you see what I'm doing there? See how it fits? Okay. Why don't we have a go at singing that? So I will do the antiphon, then I will do the first triplet, then we'll go to the women again, and then to the men, and we'll just alternate. I'm doing the antiphon first on my own, and remember, we repeat it at the end. I will create a new heart in you and breathe into you a new spirit. I will take you away from among the nations, gather you from all the foreign lands, and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities. From, from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you. Take from you. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees. You shall live in the land I gave your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, 
The next psalm we could sing in exactly the same way. I'm just going to give you a demonstration of another tone which is very common. It's on the same page, mode two, here, the first one, for those who are musically inclined. And this would sing like this. How great is your name, O Lord our God, through all the earth. Your majesty is praised above the heavens. On the lips of children and of babes, you have found praise to foil your enemies, to silence the foe and the rebel. Okay? Can you see how the pointing and the tone just fits the text very easily? So you have there three tones, especially if you go back to this recording, that you can alternate and use in any office. You can sing the whole Psalter. You also know how to point the text. So you can do that. Just get a pencil and mark it in your Psalter. You do need the same version. You need to be singing from the same hymn sheet. As they say. <laughs> Otherwise that will sound horrible. So let's go on. After the third psalm, we have a reading. And someone can just read that out as you would normally. Very often without introduction. You don't even say a reading from Second Corinthians. You just give the reading and people are saying it. Uh, it says, sacred silence indicated by a bell. It doesn't mean that the whole thing is invalidated if you don't have a bell. Um, and it's just really, we need a pause to reflect. Now, the responsory is in this form all the way. So, the cantor says, The Lord is my strength, and I shall sing his praise. And then everyone repeats it. The Lord is my strength, and I shall sing his praise. And then I say, The Lord is my Saviour, and I shall sing his praise. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The Lord is my strength, and I shall sing his praise. Okay. Canticle of Zechariah, we just carry on. We, by now we're standing, all through all of this we're standing. At the beginning of this, because it's a gospel canticle, anybody expect to be standing here, you always just cross yourself as we start singing it. I'm going to introduce here a tone, and we will just sing it. I'd just like you to try and join in. We practiced a little bit before. The tone, just so you hear it, I will sing the antiphon, recto tono, as before. For those who want to locate it in the music... The one that says starter tones, mode seven, simpler version. So, two thirds of the way down on the right hand side. That's what I'm singing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Saviour, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. 
Why don't we have a go at that? I think we can do it. So stand for this, for the gospel. I will sing the first couplet. We will go, I think, to men this time, and then to women. I'm going to be doing this, so you know. In every sacrifice, let us praise the Creator of all things through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the... the, I know that the instinct is to come in. The reason that I push you not to is that if we were singing this in the community, uh, you need some signal so you know what the tone sounds like. And actually, I find that unless people know it very, very well in advance, it actually works better that the cantor sings the whole couplet and then those who don't know it hear it. Okay, so that in communities that sing it daily, one person just starts the first part and everyone joins in. So if you sing together regularly, you can do that. But in something like this, there'll be people who don't know it, and it's, it's useful for them to hear the cantor doing it. Okay. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. His holy prophet he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers, to, to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemy, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In Every sacrifice, let us praise the Creator of all things through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Intercessions, you can just say these. Or, again, if you want to just come back to the recording and listen to what I do and learn this. So I would just sing as Cantor. You redeemed us by your blood, and then go straight into it. Our Saviour's faithfulness is mirrored in the fidelity of his witnesses who shed their blood for the word of God. Let us praise him in remembrance of them. 
you redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs freely embrace death in bearing witness for the faith. Give us the true freedom of the Spirit, O Lord. You redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs profess their faith by shedding their blood. Give us a faith, O Lord, that is constant and pure. You redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs followed in your footstep by carrying the cross. Help us to endure courageously the misfortunes of life. You redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs wash their garments in the blood of the Lamb. Help us to avoid the weaknesses of the flesh and worldly allurements. You redeemed us by your blood. You can add your own prayers at that point if you wish to. Uh, there's a lot of freedom there in the prayers. Uh, Our Father, okay, here's the simple version. Just join in with me. I do this at the start of every class I teach. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or, we have a four-part harmony here, okay? Don't worry, don't worry, everybody. We're going to go through the melody once, and you're going to listen to the melody. The reason I give you this is that if you have the bulk of the congregation singing the melody and they learn it and it's repeated, then you can have a few people who are able to do it just harmonising with it. This is what we do in, in the college. And if you do it enough times, people will pick up the melody. The, the reason I'd like you to have this, believe me, this is very simple. If you have somebody with enough musical knowledge just to plonk out the notes and is used to singing, it won't be all of you, it'll be some of you, you can introduce this in a congregation and they'll be able to do it. And it sounds great. This is done by somebody called Paul Jernberg, who lives very close to the college, and he's Thomas More's composer in residence. And I just want you to hear what's possible. We go and sing this Vespers in the hospital, and a prayer group heard us singing this, the Our Father, and then the St. Michael prayer, which we always end with, and we're going to sing that in a second as well. We're in the Veterans Hospital. Most are unable to get to the chapel. They're so ill. And even if people come and they'd like to go, we don't see them two weeks later because they've died. They're very, very seriously ill. And they said, we've seen the effect that singing the liturgy has on these people. We've arranged for you to go down and sing in the rooms of some people. So four of us who could sing the harmonies, I'm an okay singer. I'm at the, exactly the level I said. I can learn a tune. I know that when I look at music, if it goes down a bit, I sing down. But basically, I just memorized it. Okay? That's the level I'm at. And when I have to learn something, I need somebody beside me who knows what they're doing. And we sang in six bedsides. We went into six rooms and sang. This prayer group said, we've heard you do this. We want to join in. So I'm going now to this church in St. Marie's in Manchester. I'm going to do with them what we're doing with you, and they may well be watching now, because I told them about it. So, hello, St. Marie's. <laughs> um, so, I just want you to hear the, the melody. We'll sing the melody once. Can we do that? 
and you'll just have to pick it up. We haven't got a lot of time. And then we'll break into the harmony. Those who feel they can keep going with the melody, do so. If you can't, just listen. Do, do, do. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. Then, we do the closing prayer. <laughs> Normally done by whoever's leading. O oh God, who through the folly of the cross wondrously taught Saint Justin Martyr the surpassing knowledge of Christ, grant us through his intercession that having rejected deception and error, we may become steadfast in the faith. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless us and protect us from all evil and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Finally, we've got 15 minutes. We're going to sing the St. Michael prayer. We do this after Mass, every daily Mass at the college, and we sing this at the end of Vespers in the hospital and they asked us if we were going to sing this in their room. So, again, we'll do the same thing. We'll just go through the melody. You'll hear it. Those who are able to just repeat what you can, as we did before. It seemed to work very well for the Our Father. Do, do, do. Is that sweet, everybody? St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, 
Cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who roam throughout the world seeking the ruin of souls. Saint Michael the Archangel Defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits, who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you. Well, that's it. Now you can sing the whole Psalter and go home and do it. <laughs> okay, questions? I know there's an office of readings. Can yes. you tell us about that? Well, it's an office just like any other, with psalms and pretty much the same structure, except that the readings are extended. It's actually designed in the current office to be said at any time that's convenient, but generally it's said before Lords. There's a long reading from the Bible, but not the New Testament, and then there's a long reading from one of the church fathers. And it's in the four-volume set. Unfortunately, most of these won't have the Office of Readings. And it is a great treasury, just wonderful stuff. Um, but the online versions and with the smartphones, you can access it. When I do it at home, for example, I have my icon corner. And I do all that you heard us do on my own, if I'm there or with my family. And then I will face the prayer corner, and I will do Office of Readings first and then I will do Lords. I was curious, does the Chapel of Divine Mercy fit in with this somehow? Is it part of like a devotion or something? Or how's that work? It, it's a devotion. I'm not an expert in that particular devotion, but all of these devotions derive their power from the liturgy and point to it. So that the fact that you have repeated prayers, the Rosary, for example, as I understand it, has 150 repetitions of the Hail Mary to correspond to the 150 Psalms. And so it's participating in the same rhythms, and it's, it's, they're supposed to open the door to liturgical practice. And so if people have particular devotions like that, it's great to do them too. Yeah. Is there any church in the area that does this altar so we can learn from there? Or if, if there is any CD or DVD that we okay. can use? Um, for the music you just heard, basically, you've just heard my development. The reason I had to do it was because I couldn't find what you're describing. <laughs> and I just thought, well, I'm going to have to work this out myself with you know, piano and one finger. So what you can do, though, is you can go to my website, www thewayofbeauty.org and there's something there that says psalm tones and there are recordings there of that information I plan on releasing this and in fact I've got about a hundred tones for the whole Psalter if you want to get really complicated 
And at some point in the next year, I want to try and publish a book that contains this. The other thing you can do is if you go to YouTube and you Google Jernberg, Clayton, Larson, Psalm Tones, you will get a number of these harmonized tunes that you've heard, also a sample of one from each mode of each tone, and an instructional video on how to point the psalms. And most of those are on my website as well, www.thewayofbeauty.org. Also, I understand that here at St. Leo's, after the 6.15 a.m. Mass in the morning, am I right? They do pray the office. And one thing I, I uh, wanted to point out is that what Professor was doing with you today, I hope you got the sense that you can do this. And I remember discovering something not quite as beautiful as what you've done on my own at Christendom College to leave the dorm early in the morning before any of their students got up because I was a little older than they were and they were slept in and lazy. And, um, <laughs> but to, in the morning to get up with the sunrise to pray the office and to chant it. And you can do it. You can do it. Even if it's just recto tono. Am I yeah. right, Professor? Yes, absolutely. You can do yeah. it. And if you're married and you have someone there with you, to do it together and start simple. But you can do it. What does the saying go? You, uh, he who sings prays twice or something, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it adds something because, as you probably today felt a little bit, it starts to open up the soul and the heart a little bit to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you, even with my mouth. I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to trust in you. And it's going to come out okay. It's going to work out. And even myself, I now have to do solos in front of 250 people at church. God has a, a sense of humor. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. There's one thing I didn't mention. I just want to say very quickly. This is the prayer of community. When we go to the hospital, all I wanted to do was be tolerated. Okay? I didn't, wasn't expecting people to rush in with, you know, wonderful. We've been waiting for people to come and sing Vespers for all these years. I just wanted to go in and just do it and just see what the effect was. And we pray for the community, and it's a sacrifice of praise. I, I take it upon myself as, as much as possible to sing for the college. And the, it's public, so I go to the chapel, and the invitation is there, and sometimes nobody accepts the invitation. But that, that prayer is there for the community. And I have to say, many times people do, and they come and enjoy it. And it's one of those things that people develop a liking for you certain people really really hooks them at work for example if nobody else is interested in this I can pray for those at work by praying the office anyone I'm in community with I'm praying for them and making a community that people worry about the fact that the workplace isn't a community well this is the answer and even as one person doing it I'm helping to create, I'm affecting personal relationships through my own relationships by a personal transformation in doing that. So wherever we go, we can add to where we are. Can you go over some of the basic vocabulary you were talking about, like oh. Psalter and Lauds, and, or at least translate what they mean? That's, sure, yeah, sorry, okay. Psalter is just the, the book that contains the Psalms, it's different from the, the book of Psalms in the Bible because they're just arranged according to particular days. So at the core of this is the Psalter. It's the bit that has the Psalms, Psalter, week four, Monday. Okay, so it's assigning certain Psalms to certain hours on particular days. And that will vary according to which book you have, which community you're in, whether it's Eastern Church, Western Church. It, 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 there's a little bit of variation, although 
a large correspondence as well. St. Benedict gives names to all of these offices. So there's lords, prime, vigils, tersex, known, vespers, compline, and if I've forgotten one, matins, okay? And in the modern version, they tend to be called, lords would be morning prayer, compline is called night prayer, vespers is evening prayer. Either is fine. And to follow up just on one point that you made earlier and just now again, the Psalms are the heart of this. And so if you open up and you don't know what to do, pray the Psalm. And if that's all you do, it's okay. And you will build your confidence over time. But don't say, well, I don't know what to do there, and so I'm not going to do it. You said that earlier, and it's so important. Mm. On this St. Michael the Archangel prayer, I see that you are one of the authors. Are there any restrictions or copyrights? In other words, can we copy this? Yes, please Give it do. to our choirs. Yeah. Um, it's a traditional Byzantine tone. Paul Jernberg is the musical contributor. I happen to be with him. I asked him to do something for the St. Michael prayer, and I had a contribution in signing particular notes to certain words. And then when he produced it, it was arranged by Paul Jernberg and David Clayton. It's evidence of his humility that he included me in it and evidence of mine that I never objected. (laughs) 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 So please do, yeah. The Our Father, you would need to contact Paul Jernberg. That's slightly different. There's more controls on that, but yeah. Doctor, you um, alluded to the getting up at midnight. Can you say a little bit about what's going on in the cloister with the Liturgy of the Hours? I don't have a deep un- uh, knowledge of the history, but I-, I think originally monks would arise at midnight to pray, and so that would be one of the offices. I think that would be vigils. Is, is that the traditional one? Somebody help me. Uh, oh, is it matins? One of the night ones, okay. And then what happened in many communities, because that's awkward to get up and interrupt your sleep they would push it round so they got up very early and then almost together they combined the night office and then the morning office and so in many monasteries that I've been to for example at Pluskadin they do the, run the two together I think they start at 4.30 in the morning and they sing for two and a half hours and they're doing a weekly cycle so they're doing all the psalms in a week but that's their work that's, uh, so me and my wife, we've been uh, praying the uh, Liturgy of the Hours for a number of years now. And uh, I was just wondering the uh, spiritual uh, merits of uh, praying it with the books, you know, with all the four volumes, or just uh, reading it uh, with the, uh, what's this, the uh, application that we have now in the, uh, what's this? <laughs> Is it uh, allowable for us to, you know, inside the church to be uh, if, uh, joining in a group because here in the application we have everything laid down yeah. for us while in the books you have to flip uh, the pages going to the canticles and the uh, well I don't see why it isn't it's the substance of it that's important and if that's communicating the substance of it it seems fine to me I quite often will do the prayers during the day on one of those and uh, I know that the students think I'm just checking my emails, but you know, <laughs> that's only pride. Okay. You can use your Bible also. It does have the <laughs> Psalms in it. That's if you remember to bring them, of course. <laughs> I just wanted to ask about the way of beauty that was advertised on this flyer. Is that available to rent or, you know, like from Netflix? 
Oh, the TV show. It's still on streaming video on Catholic TV, which is something like catholictv.com. Uh, and they're still there, yeah. The psalms and uh, canticles are arranged in paragraphs, and I wondered why the left side didn't complete the paragraph, and then the left side have one paragraph. Why did we... I was wondering, was there a particular reason that... Well, I, th I don't know why they set them out like that. I imagine that they anticipated that if you were reciting them, you would do paragraph and then paragraph, and you're entitled to do that. But if you're going to chant in the traditional way, everything's set out in pairs. If you want to do it like that, you can't. Music, there's a lot of scope for interpretation in the singing of it, that you're given a lot of freedom. The American version, there's a British version which actually has pointing on it in the way that I described, according to the syllables. It's as though they didn't anticipate that people would actually sing it. It doesn't seem to be set up to sing. It seemed as though they wanted people to say it, or, or they were, that's what they were expecting. They thought, probably thought it was going to open it up. I don't know precisely. But you can if you want to, but you don't have to, is what I would say. Thank you very much, Professor. Appreciate your time today. Pleasure. Finally, just to reinforce, you can do it, and you can simplify it, and it's okay. And you can sing it. And if you don't get exactly the notes he was laying out, it's okay. God loves you. All right? But uh, this is the heart of the prayer life of the church. As the Vatican II says, that the Mass is the culmination of our life, of our spiritual life. This is the rungs of the ladder. This is the way up the mountain and the way back down again. And so we regulate our week life towards Sunday for the Eucharist, praying the Divine Office and praying the Psalms. I highly encourage you to do so. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-635. 7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.